Welcome to the Grow Strong Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I interview business leaders who are committed to their own growth and the development of everyone on their team. If you enjoy my podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for joining me today. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I love introducing you to people who are focused on their own growth in addition to being committed to the growth and development of the people in their world. And we have exactly that today. I'm really excited about my guests. First, let me just say that Helping others to grow is the focus of our company, Grow Strong Leaders. We publish software tools and books that help people learn how to connect more effectively with each other at work and at home. And you can learn more about us at growstrongleaders.com. Today, I'm excited to welcome actually two guests, uh, Dr. Sean Dill and Dr. Lacey Buck. Welcome to my show. Thank you, Meredith. We're so excited to be here. Well, I can hardly wait to get into our conversation. Let me um, just share a little bit about you with my guests before we jump in. Sean and Lacey are chiropractors by profession, and they're the founders of the Black Diamond Club, which is a community of more than 600 service professionals who have a desire to reach more people make a greater impact, and create the lifestyle that they deserve. And so now, rather than being practicing chiropractors, they are helping other service professionals to achieve success. And their work is driven by some areas that I'm personally passionate about as well, relationships, collaboration, and their mission, where health and success are known as fundamental truths rather than fundamental pursuits. And we'll get into what your mission statement means to you and as part of our conversation today. They're also the authors of the book, None of Your Business, A Winning Approach to Turn Service Providers into Entrepreneurs. And they're the hosts of the podcast by the same name, None of Your Business. So, Sean and Lacey, let's start by having you tell us a little bit about your journey from being practitioners um, and having your own practices in uh, as chiropractors. And now you're focused on building this wonderful community of service professionals. Yeah, it started um, way back in 2009 when we actually had a chiropractic office in the Bay Area in California. And our model was very unique when it comes to the chiropractic profession. And because the model was so unique, it ended up attracting a lot of people that wanted to practice and run their business the way that we did. And from there, we actually started a chiropractic franchise. We've always kind of been big believers that you need to look into other industries and other professions to see what's really working working when it comes to marketing and sales and figure out how to apply those into your own industry and profession. So it looked like we were out-of-the-box thinkers, but we were just really translating other things that worked into what we did. And because of that, that's where we got started into this thing called the Black Diamond Club because we realized very quickly these fundamentals in business that work really well in chiropractic 
can work and translate across any service industry. So people were like, what are you doing? And that's what started the journey. And we began teaching others these strategies and helping them grow their businesses and make an even bigger impact in their communities. That's great. And so one of the things I love about what we're going to be talking about today, because you know, we're all, my podcast is all about growing strong leaders. And one of the things I've been able to tell, you know, in, in learning more about you and what you do is you've been driven yourselves to be, you know, to grow and develop and learn. And now you are excited about sharing a lot of your own growth with, with other people. And it, it's, um, tapped into through your mission statement that I read first of all, but I want to read it again, because I would love for you to go a little bit deeper about what, what, um, where did that come from? Health and success are known as fundamental truths rather than fundamental pursuits. What's the distinction you're making there between truths and pursuits? Yeah, well, I think that most people, when it comes to health, first of all, because we are chiropractors, um, believe that we are, we get sick, like we acquire sickness. Like when people say that, like, oh, I have diabetes. And I would say, well, great. Well, then just give it to me, hand it to me, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get rid it, of it, put it in the trash and we'll be done with that. But we don't actually have these sicknesses and diseases. What happens is our bodies are made. The default setting for our health is to be healthy. Our bodies are made perfectly. And what happens is then we get interference with our body's ability to regulate, to heal. And these interferences then cause us to eventually end up being sick. The same thing happens with success. And I think that a lot of people think that their default setting is lack, is uh, poverty. And really the default setting for all of humanity is abundance, joy, happiness, gratitude. But then there's all of these things that start to play on and interfere with our default setting. So really for people trying to pursue success, really what it's all about is clearing the interference more so than some new marketing funnel or some new coach or some outside thing. And the same thing with health. When you are sick, the, the road to recovery, the road to health is clearing the interference more so than some pill, potion, lotion, doctor, something that will magically make you healthy. There's nothing that will magically make you healthy. And there's nothing that will magically make you successful. The key to both of those is to clear the interference and allow your internal default setting to shine through. Love that. Love that. And as I was listening to you, I was thinking of a friend who has a habit of saying, you know, I'm trying to get a cold. <laughs> trying to get a cold. I said, well, stop trying. Stop trying. Just don't do it. <laughs> and just, it just made me think of our language is so important. And, and we don't often think about what meaning are we really conveying with these words that, that we're saying. And, it, and I love that phrase you used about, you know, clearing the interference. And I know a lot of your work with clients is around mindset. And so, of course, that is a key area of interference, because I agree 100% with what um, you were saying there, Sean, about we are wired for one way of being, 
but then we get exposed to so much as we're growing up in our families and our environment. And so I would love for you to talk a little bit about some of the limiting beliefs or mindsets that people who join your community, you know, come in with. And what are some of those common ones? Because I bet they're common to many of my listeners as well. So I'd love for you to identify what those are. And then what are some of the things that you do? What are some strategies or tips that you could share that might help my listeners think about, think differently about their beliefs around some of these topics? I think there's two major limiting beliefs that people struggle with. Um, Number one, and everybody's probably already thinking it, it's their belief system around money, right? And I think that everybody unique has a unique relationship when it comes to money. Some naturally have a more abundant mindset. Maybe it was the way that they grew up, the things that they were told, the experiences they had in life. Um, But majority of us really struggle in that kind of lack mentality and not just the lack mentality of what is out there and what's available to us, but also what we're worth. And it comes twofold. And so I think that the, the biggest struggle when it comes to mindset is what do I deserve and how much of it can be mine? And we have just noticed that when people are building businesses, it's really easy to go back into this kind of negative thought process of, I don't know if there'll be enough clients for me out there. I don't know if enough people will pay my prices. I don't know if I'll get to be able to hit my goals. Um, And it's just because of this old narrative that's deeply ingrained in us. And so for me, this is um, actually my life experience. I mean, I grew up in a family that didn't have a lot of money. I worked since the day I was 14 years old um, so that I could generate extra money. Um, And I've never not had a job. And so for me, I really struggled with the idea that there was abundance all around us and that everybody on the planet could be wealthy and that you could wake up in the morning and just decide to attract wealth into your life by creating something to attract it. I thought that was the craziest stuff I ever heard on the planet. I thought you work an hour and you get paid a certain amount. It was an equal exchange. So I did a lot of work on this. And for me, one of the biggest things was learning how to disrupt the narrative, the negative self-talk. And I'm sure, Meredith, you know, a lot of people talk about when you wake up in the morning, you like wake up and you get positive and you say all of your affirmations so that you can get yourself into that state. But what happens when you have a really negative mindset about something? Does making yourself positive in the morning, make sure and ensure that it's not there the rest of the day. No, that creeps right back in around noon or one o'clock and you're back in that zone. And so what I did is I realized I had to disrupt the narrative as much as possible. So I created something that I just called the abundance timer because I needed to think more abundantly. And this can work for any self-limiting belief that you have. I literally would just take my phone I would have my alarm go off every hour and I would write the word abundance on that alarm. And when it would go off, it was just the right word to remind me about my new way of thinking, that Mm. there's abundance in the world. And I was consistently and constantly all day long disrupting my negative self-talk until I began to rewire my brain 
to think abundantly. And we've had clients all over do that for things when it comes to, you know, money, when it comes to their self-worth, when it comes to um, they don't have enough time, they don't have the right relationship, there's not people that will pay them. Whatever it is, if you can disrupt the narrative, you can change the narrative. That's great. Sean, did you want to add anything to that? Well, I was just thinking when we were actually driving into the studio this morning, we were on the radio, there was somebody that was talking about how they would serve their kids. I don't know why they were talking about this, but they would serve their, their child three chicken nuggets. And for some reason, I was like, why three? Why would they give them three chicken nuggets? And I realized that a lot of our limiting beliefs are passed on by our parents due to the circumstance in which we live in. If you, there's only three chicken nuggets, well, you would give your child the last three chicken nuggets that you had. What's radically different is that the universe is infinite. And if you have any degree of a spiritual belief, so if you believe that there is something out there that cares about you, what you really need to understand is that that something cares about you more, and it's really hard to fathom, but it cares about you more than your parents cared about you. And if you are a parent, that something cares about you more than you care about your own kids. And there's not just three chicken nuggets. There's infinite chicken nuggets. So why would you ask for only three? One of the things that you know we do a lot of work in, I think in the limiting beliefs, some people will say like, Oh, I want to make a hundred thousand a year. Other people will say, I want to make a million dollars a year. And I'm always like, why are you just limiting at that? There's, there's infinite amount of abundance. You know, I want to have somebody that cares about me. Like that's it. Just somebody that care that treats me nice. That's it. That's all you want. We have the ability to tap into absolute infinite abundance. And I think that's actually the limiting belief is that we, we don't appreciate how big the universe is how what's we don't have an appreciation for what's possible. And I always tell people, you know, it, do you understand what I'm talking about when I say the universe? And they'll say yes. And I say, OK, well, what you have in mind, that's not it. Mm -hmm. It's bigger than that. And so you expand out to like, oh, OK, yeah. So you expand it out and I say, oh, great. So now what you have in mind, that's not it. It's it's bigger than what we can abs actually fathom. And so the ability for us to tap into abundance, it exceeds our own mind. And I will say. A lot of people interview us because as a couple, we came from very different backgrounds. So when you ask the question about limiting beliefs, it's not that I don't have limiting beliefs because of course every human being does, but I have far less limiting beliefs, almost to the point where it's dangerous. I'm more of a risk taker. <laughs> I do believe that anything is possible if we could just tap into and clear that interference and allow that to come to us. And I don't like to limit what can possibly happen to us in our lives, with our clients, with anything. Um, the infinite is possible. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling my brain stretch just listening <laughs> to you say that. And I'm also imagining there's some resistance going on in the minds of some folks when they hear you say that. And, and I'm sure that happens within your, your member community as well. And so how, how far can you get them to stretch before they start feeling like they have to contract or that's too far because their, their minds haven't gone out there, uh, haven't, their belief system hasn't expanded to accept that big goal that you've helped them stretch and see. 
Well, let me let me do the so. macro. Let me do the macro, and then you can do the micro. On the on the macro level, what what I would say is is you know they say success leaves clues. Well, the universe leaves you clues, and there's actually abundance everywhere, mm-hmm. and you're just not tuned into it. If if on this podcast you begin to tune into it, you'll actually realize you'll begin to see. Like I can tell you that, and this is really weird, but when you see this, you're going to be like, you, you will remember this moment, at least in the next seven days for every single listener that's listening, you're going to see clues of money around you and it will show up very small. You'll see like a penny or a dime on the ground and you're going to be faced with a challenge. You're either going to realize and at that moment say, wow, the universe is sending me a clue that there's, look, there's a penny on the ground and I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to be open to more. I'm going to receive it then you will begin to see it will it will scale up. And Lacey can talk to you about some exercises and ways that we can really hone that in. But money is literally, in today's electronic world, It right now, Meredith, it, money is flying right in front of your face. Mm-hmm. It's just doing so as these little bits and packets, Venmo and Zelle and PayPal and processing. Money is flying through the air. That's how we transact. So the money on the ground is a, is a physical representation of what's going on all over the place. And it's kind of like we live in one of those booths where the money flies around and you try and grab all the money. Mm-hmm. That's literally the era that we live in. And so if you could begin to tune into that, you begin to realize, wow, this is, this is money is everywhere. Abundance is everywhere. I'm just choosing not to see it. Now, just one other thing that I want to add in the macro, I I'll expand people's minds to just a little bit. I think one of the ways that we disconnect everyone from money is through math. And I think as long, I say this all the time, one of our, one of our employees has a, a, um, a teenage, a preteen daughter. And I always tell her, if you want to be abundant, make sure that you're good at math. Because if I can strip you of your ability to do math in your head, you are disconnected from your finances. And one of the things that happens is very early on, we say, James has three candies. Luke, uh, James gives two of his candies to Luke. How many candies does James have? And so we're teaching you three minus two equals one. And so that is what is called a zero sum game, but that's not how money works. So if James has three, my question is, where did he get the three? If he gave two to Luke, why doesn't he go back into the jar and get four more for himself? But that's not a zero sum game. That's an abundant game. We are taught math from the standpoint of there is a limited supply. We have gains and losses. And then what's left over is profit. But that's not actually how the world works. And the last thing is I can prove it to you because over the past two years, the United States government, I would imagine the majority of the listeners of the podcast are in the United States, but even governments worldwide just magically created trillions of dollars out of nothing. And that is how, that is actually how finance and money works. You can do the same as an individual. I know that people are out there and they're thinking, this sounds crazy. So I just want to say that that is exactly how I felt when I met Sean. (laughs) He would, he would talk like this and I would listen to him. And because my paradigm and my understanding of the way that money worked was so different than his, the, the words that would come out of his mouth literally sounded psychotic. I'm like, what do you mean money is just flying around everywhere? You can just stand in a booth and you can grab it and it's yours. So I get it. If you're out there and you're feeling inside of you, that resistance creep up, like this makes me uncomfortable. I mean, he's my husband and it's, it would make me uncomfortable, but that means that you have to lean into it. 
that means that you don't have an understanding around money in the way that he does. And you should ask yourself, do I want to understand? And if you do, you should begin that journey. And I think for me is I knew that in our relationship, because of my, my lack mentality and my, my um, lack of understanding around money and abundance, I knew that I was the stopgap and the limitation in our business and in our life. Mm -hmm. And so I said, I need to lean into this. So I read a book that radically changed my life and I have probably recommended it to thousands of people that have read it and it helped them as well. It's called the little money Bible by Stuart wild. Mm. And it is, it's really little it's teeny tiny. Um, and in that book, he talks about these, these concepts of, of, around money being energy and, and boundless wealth and all of these things that when the first time I read it, I was very uncomfortable because I didn't understand it. And I literally read that book so many times. I wrote down everything I didn't understand and that made me uncomfortable. And I studied it and I learned it and I leaned into it until I understood. The best way to get yourself is not just, just your understanding of math, but your deepened understanding about, around asking questions around things that you just don't get. And by doing that, you can begin to, to reframe what's possible for you. And so I would say that that's a big thing. If you're like, man, I want to know what's out there. I want to believe that the, the universe is infinite. I want to be able to just tap into the ability to attract money and wealth into my world and not limit myself, then lean into all the things that make you uncomfortable, ask more questions, get more curious, read more books. And you'll be surprised at how slowly because it's not quick because that makes most people uncomfortable, but slowly you can begin to shift that mentality around money. Mm -hmm. Wow. So many great nuggets in there. And one thing I really want to emphasize this idea of not just reading a book, but seeking to understand what the real message is. I think of Bob Proctor, who was always big on, you know, studying this. Yeah, you've read it, but so what? Have you really studied it and internalized it? And that's what it sounds like you're really focused on there. Thank you. That was really, really helpful. Another, I think, limiting belief sometimes is around relationships. And I love the fact that you focus on relationships as the number one thing that you mentioned that's important to you. And you use the term relationship capital too. So I would really like to hear you talk about you know, why are relationships number one for you? I happen to share that same value. I, I'm just very curious about your perspective. And then what is the relationship capital? How's that work in? Well, I think, <clears throat> I think coming off of that discussion of money is super appropriate because money, fiat currency has a value only because we say it does, right? So that's how we are able to create infinite money because the government says this is worth 100, this is worth 20, but it's printed on the exact same thing. And two years ago, going into the pandemic, um, I realized that things were going to radically shift economically in the world. And we began to advise our clients to have an understanding that the single most valuable currency that was going to exist now coming out of the pandemic was relational capital. One very sort of popular question that people ask on a podcast is, you know, Sean and Lacey, if you lost everything, like, what would you do? How do you start back? And I always tell people, well, you could take everything from me, but please don't take my phone. 
And not because I'm like addicted to my phone, but because my phone has all of the contacts, the names and numbers and emails of people, which is the most valuable currency that exists in the world. We can get back into any game. We can leverage deals. We can create influence. We can do anything through strong relationships. And I think that oftentimes people value currency, the pursuit of money over the pursuit of relationships. Deep, strong relationships is what you can leverage to create capital. That's why we call it relationship capital. The single most valuable currency that exists in the world today is your Rolodex, your relationship, deep, valuable relationships with other people. At the same time, you know, the mark of a truly successful individual is the ability to maintain two seemingly opposing ideas simultaneously in one's mind. So let me also tell you that one of our mentors really instilled in us this uh, sort of catchphrase of doing fewer, better things with fewer, better people. So it's not a game where we're just trying to accumulate a million relationships superficially. We want fewer, deeper relationships with fewer, better people so that we can do fewer, better things. We're not trying to open an ice cream stand or right. We're, we're trying to do fewer, better things with a fewer, better um, group of people. But the way that we arrive at that fewer better is by putting ourselves out working like we would work for money, working for relationships. The best tip that I can give the listeners that I have applied in my own life is try to reach and meet on a deeper level, not on a deep soul type level, but a deeper level, one new person every day. And meeting them and having a conversation with the objective, the sole objective of you finding out how you can help them. And I think you'll find out like, well, you can't, I can't help you unless I know a lot of things about you. So I'm going to have to ask questions mm -hmm. and then I'll figure out how I can help you and make that offer to help you. Not everybody's going to accept the offer and that's it. There's nothing else attached to it. Just, Hey, I want to meet somebody every day and provide some degree of help to them every day. And if I do that, I will be on that path to creating the fewer, better relationships. Again, not everybody is going to make it past that one phone call, but some of them will. And as you develop that relational capital, that's how you then leverage. Leverage helps you to get to your destination faster. Other people have paid the dummy tax. Other people have wisdom, mentorship, and even coaching that can help you to get to your destination quicker. That's the most valuable commodity, currency, asset that you can possess in my, in my book. Mm, that's great. And I run in a hundred percent agreement. When I connect with someone new, my focus is exactly what you just said. How can I be of help to you? I'm not looking to sell anything or, you know, trying to get them to do anything. It's being of service first. So I love that approach. Lacey, how do you apply that in forming relationships? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is an understanding that um, relationships are a little bit like a bank, right? Like you want to invest your time, energy, your money into them. And when you invest into something, what do you expect when you make an investment? You expect an ROI, but here's the thing about relationships. It doesn't mean that you're directly going to get an ROI from that person that you've been investing time with, right? Or, or money with, or connections with, or gifts or or dinners or lunches, that when you make an investment into your relationships, that you're going to get an ROI from the universe in some way, shape, or form. And I think for me, applying that concept has really been helpful because most people that I meet, they're looking for a one-on-one -on -one exchange, right? They're like, well, Meredith, 
If I meet you and I'm investing all this time, energy, and money into you, I expect that at some time our relationship will pay off. That's not truly being in service of somebody. That's not truly wanting to help somebody. So I like to think I'm just going to put all my goodwill coins in the bank, all my relationship investment, and in some way I'm going to get paid back. And I don't care how it gets returned to me. I want to build my relationships, help others. I want to connect them. I want to deepen those relationships because I know that I will be taken care of if I take care of people first. Mm -hmm. And that's just how I've applied every relationship that I go into that I want to get in further uh, connection with. Mm -hmm. That just resonates 100% with me and my own experience. And just thinking about what is the attitude that I bring to a conversation? Who am I being in the moment with this person? Because I think people can sense if you are kind of waiting and anticipating an opportunity to ask for something or get something. And they can equally feel when you come to them, just as you have both described in that spirit of service, they can Mm -hmm. feel that. And it has everything to do with how the conversation goes, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. And one other thing I would just say is if you are being in relationship with people, just show up consistently. You know, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I have thought I had deep relationships with people and they just fall away. You know, if if you really value somebody and you value the relationship, showing up consistently is more than 99% of the rest of the world does. And so if you can do that, man, that goes so far. Mm hmm. Yes. And this ties into another topic I wanted to cover with you, because I noticed in your book, you have a whole chapter on rejection. And so when you are recommending, you know, people step out and take a risk or reach out to someone, there's always the possibility of hearing no. And so I would love to hear more about how you define rejection, first of all, And then what kind of a mindset does someone have so they don't see rejection as personal or, uh, or about them personally? Well, I think uh, about people that have worked in the food service industry, Mm -hmm. or if you've ever been to a restaurant, um, let's say that I had a, a glass of iced tea and I drank my glass of iced tea and the server came by and they said, hey, Sean, would you like some more iced tea? And I said, oh no, I'm fine. They don't go in the back and cry and say, I can't believe it. This guy, I'm not asking anybody else for the rest of the day if they want iced tea. How rude this guy said, no, you're not rejecting the person. You're just rejecting the opportunity. Like, yeah, at this time, I don't want any more iced tea. It's not personal. If that example makes sense, then you need to translate that into every other offer that you make out into the world, especially if you're making offers from a place of integrity. You say to somebody, I would like to help you. I would like to give you some more iced tea. I would like to offer you guidance. I would like to sell you this product that can help you to get to where you want to go. I would like to sell you a bank account so that you don't have to carry your money in a bag, whatever it is. They may say no, like, oh, I don't want that but they're not rejecting you. They're just rejecting the opportunity. The other thing that I learned, um, I I found very interesting. I learned this when I was very young is when I was at um, Indiana university, there would be these guys. And I think everybody has seen these, these like street pastors. Um, I think, you know, being a street pastor at a university, 
um, probably one of the toughest things. They you know, would stand out and all the students would be walking by and they would be preaching. Sometimes they had like a pole with a sign on it. And they were very passionate about it. But a lot of people just walked by, didn't even look at them. Other people would stop and kind of listen and other people would somewhat heckle them. But they would keep on doing it. They'd keep on preaching. They'd And, and I, I really sat and thought about this. I was like, why did they do that? Why? Why? What's their what's their whole thing? And I've asked people and they, they tell me, well, because they want to they want to try and convert people for for God. And I said, well, I, I think it's different, though. I think that what they feel is a charge to give people the opportunity to hear the decision, to hear that there is an option. And then people choose. Some people just walk by and they're not phased by it because they didn't take it personal. But what they understood is that at least that person had the opportunity to choose. If nobody ever knows about you, and, and this is like Lacey and I's big um, premise, one of our reasons for existing in the world is that if you have a gift, let's say that you are a healer, you're the world's greatest cardiologist that ever walked the world, but you won't tell anybody about you because you're afraid of rejection. How many people are just going to die because they never get to experience what you have to offer them because you decided to sit on your couch because you were afraid of rejection. But if you told somebody, I think I could help you. And if, if you receive my help, there's a chance you'll live. But if you don't receive my help, there's a chance that you'll die. In fact, there's a probability that you'll die. And they're like, no. And this happens a lot to doctors, right? People are like, no, I think I'm going to pursue just an, uh, you know, a natural wheatgrass approach. The doctor says, okay, I disagree. I think this is a very bad move, but it's your choice. They don't take it personally. And so I think what we have to do is really depersonalize all of these choices that people are making. And we get up the next day and we just say, I need more people to, to hear that they have a choice, to hear that there's a possibility of a greater outcome by working with me, regardless of what it is that you do. And if you could do that, um, I think that you'll really get closer to fulfilling your life's purpose because you have decentralized or moved away from or depersonalized um, the decision-making process. Mm -hmm. I would say too, I would just add, um, I always ask people, what do you have to lose? And I think uh, uh, not enough people think about that by going out there and making an ask. If somebody says no, like, what do you have to lose? You have to wake up every day and say, what do I have to lose? More importantly, what do I have to gain? And so I think that that's really important to think about when you're going out there and getting rejection. And the other thing is, is, is if you knew that it was going to take 10 no's, 10 times of rejection to get to the very thing that you were going after and desired. And on the 11th try that somebody said, yes, wouldn't you be more willing to go out there and get rejected 10 times? So number one, what do you have to lose? And Every no gets you closer to the thing that you want. So if you can maintain that concept and that idea in your mind, it really, it really makes it easy to go out there and make the ask. Mm -hmm. that, that's so good. I love that because I, I so agree with what you both said. I think, you know, the cardiologist is sort of an extreme example. I think of most of us that are in business where our product isn't going to, you know, help someone live or die, but it can certainly benefit them and make their lives better. But realizing we have a responsibility to do that, if we know we have, and I think it goes back 
to what you were saying earlier around limiting beliefs and what do we think we deserve and what are we worthy of? And I think the stronger our confidence is, then the more likely we are to ask and not take it so personally. Um, in wrapping up, I would love to ask you around, because you've led different teams. You know, when you had your own practices, you had a staff, you now have a team of people. What are some of the most important leadership tips that you might share about leading a team and getting the best performance and helping them achieve their potential? Well, I, I'll, I'll, I think you've already figured out we're probably going to say something that's going to make people be like, well, what did you say? <laughs> um, I'm a big believer in hiring people and not roles. I think that what happens is that um, in business, we think like, man, I need a marketing director. Um, all of our team, we 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 understand that everybody's different. And then as a couple, um, there's a culture working with us. And we are, so step number one, look in the mirror and kind of figure out who you are and your leadership style. Then step number two is we identify what, and we've learned this all, by the way, by just making a million mistakes, right? Mm -hmm. So by, by doing it completely wrong. But then we had to realize like, so what type of person would work best with us? Then we go out into the world and we find them mm -hmm. and we offer them jobs. When we offer people jobs, nine times out of 10, we don't actually know what job they're going to do for us. We just say, you would be great in our, in our team. And we bring them on. And when they get here, they start to figure out their place. They figure out sort of where they fit in. Um, at the end of every year, we ask everyone on our team to detail to us what it is that they do and to tell us their job title. And that's super revealing, right? Because all of a sudden you realize like, oh, I have a director of sales. I didn't even know we had that <laughs> position, but this person is telling me that that's what they do. And you, but the whole thing about being a leader, I think is, is understand yourself, number one, and then surround yourself with people that will fit that style of leadership. And then, then third, figure out what they do, assign or define roles. A lot of people do it in reverse, and I think that leads to a lot of frustration on both sides um, because you just you have a different leadership style, and maybe your style is more passive, and you sit at home and you say, "I wonder what Lacey's doing. Like, why doesn't she? Like, I don't know. Like, why did I even hire her?" And she probably needs more of an aggressive or handholding or a, a different approach than what you're using. So we just try and line people up and look, if you're more of an analytic, there's tons of tools, strengths finders, all these you know, disk analysis, all these tools that we could utilize to uh, make it a little more analytical. But that truly is sort of the formula that, that we follow. And I think that um, the last thing is, uh, you hear this said as sort of a cliche, and we, we, it's, it's absolutely true with us. We've absolutely applied this process. I don't, I wouldn't say that we don't pay well, but we don't That's pay super say. high. We pay average, but we bonus like absolute gangbusters. Our, our team receives bonuses for all kinds of things. So if you looked at what their stated salary was, it's just kind of mediocre. If you look at, at the end of the year, what they received, it's exceptional, but I, we leverage bonuses, not necessarily based off of metrics, 
and this super confuses everybody all the time when I talk about it. We use bonuses around behaviors that will drive our business and drive um, our, so our we success. Bonus habits, not we bonus just habits, goals versus yeah. metrics. Like, yeah. oh, if we can collect X, everybody gets a bonus. We bonus the habit that we know it will allow them to get there. Yes, and so that was that's what I would say. And it, it, it because of that, it, it is a challenge. I would tell most people listening, it's a challenge to work in our environment. It's a high paced high pressure environment. At the end of the day, it ends up paying very well. At the end of the day, we do a lot of really, really cool stuff, but we know that in advance. We know what will work for us um, in, in the in the asset that we're looking for. And that's, I was going to say that exact same thing, because that's the biggest lesson we've learned. But the other thing that we've learned is that we also pay our team for advice. And I think a lot of leaders and a lot of entrepreneurs, they feel like they have to come up with all the ideas or that they are the ones that are, you know, leading the ship. Well, if I hire you and you're really, really good at your job and you're actually better at that component of it than I am, I'm going to pay you for advice. And here's the most important thing is you have to listen, right? You have to listen to what they have to say. And that creates a really powerful team and a way for you to move your business forward. And by combining all of that, getting advice from your team, bonusing them like crazy on the habits that lead to the performance and hiring the right people, you'll have a super all-star team to take you to the next level. Mm. What a powerful way to, um, to wrap up because as I was listening to both of you, I thought that really does turn things upside down. Uh, you know, we often think we got to get the job description down perfectly to make sure we match the right person. And because we've done that, I know ourselves, but you're so right. You can teach some of those skills if you have the right people. And my guess is you are both very committed to looking for and bringing on board people who have that learner mindset, you know, growth mindset that believe they can learn and are wanting to grow and learn and look for opportunities. So as they develop on your team, they can expand into other roles that you'd never even thought of. I love your approach. I think YouTube YouTube has been the greatest thing to happen for for learners, right? You can learn anything on YouTube. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, and I just think that it reinforces going back, you know, to your, your mission statement and all the things of who you are and what you're looking to do in the world, having a team of people who have that shared commitment and uh, and are excited about going with you. And I love the fact that you mentioned that you um, bonus on behaviors because too often we get hung up on, did you reach that goal, that target? And if you didn't, you feel you get punished. Whereas you know, and I know too, that if you can get people in the habit of performing certain behaviors, the results are going to come because you know what behaviors matter. Oh, we could talk for another hour. I've loved this conversation. Thank you both so much for all the specific ideas you shared, the macro and the micro. It was just wonderful. And I just want to say um, to both Lacey and Sean, thank you for who you are in the world, for who you show up to be, for your clients, for your team, for yourselves. And I just am grateful that you are such a, a big part of bringing positive beliefs and positive actions in the world. Thank, thank you, you, Meredith. Thanks for tuning into my podcast. 
Now head over to growstrongleaders.com and check out our two books, Connect With Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. While you're there, download the free facilitator guide to find out how to implement our unique peer coaching system. Until next time, 